during uh, the advent in which the universal church, the church at large around the world, uh, focuses on the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Uh, what we've been doing at Redeemer, we've been uh, specifically looking at Paul's perspective on the incarnation, how he takes uh, in simple uh, teachings and application, he brings these incredible uh, doctrines of the incarnation. Now the first week Clay looked at uh, the, the necessity of the incarnation. That the Virgin Mary gave birth to the God-man. That what we talk about all the time, every Sunday. That, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. I mean, you, you need a mediator. I need a mediator. We need a substitute. So he talked about the necessity. And so what I wanted to do last week as we looked at 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8 is to look at the cost. What, what, what did it cost uh, for God to resolve this dilemma that he would not have if he didn't want to reconcile us and to make us one? And so we saw in, in 2 Corinthians that, uh, you know, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that uh, though he was rich, he became poor so that through, your, through his poverty, you might become rich. So this morning, what I want us to look at is uh, Paul's perspective on the mindset of Jesus. What would drive him to do this? Now, you've got to understand this, that Jesus had a mindset before he was Jesus because from all of eternity, he's the eternal son of God. And uh, somewhere back in eternity, he and the Father... And the Holy Spirit entered into this eternal covenant that we learn in Hebrews 13, upon which he was willing to submit to the Father's will to die for you if you're the elect. If God is calling you to apply the work of Christ to you. So we're going to look at Paul's, uh, mind, uh, the, Paul's passage on the mindset of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Jesus Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Jesus Christ. Now, as we come to read this text, I, I, do, I do want to say this. I wanted to get it in here somewhere. I couldn't get it in the body of my sermon. But here's what's interesting to note about this text. Uh, when Paul turns us to Christ, he, these are probably not the words of Paul. What you have here, if you look, is poetry, or you have a hymn, or you have, as it were, a creed that was probably written before the Apostle Paul was converted. And so it's very clear in our text that Paul is using uh, this passage which so strongly points to the deity of Jesus Christ, who's the Lord of glory. And so what can we learn from this attitude. Because I'm telling you, it says, let this mind be in you. Who? Those who are Christians. Those who are born again. Those who know Jesus Christ. And so with that in mind, I want you to turn to our text. And uh, so I want to read the context of, of this great creed that we find. Here's the context. Beginning verse 1, we're going to read through verse 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, 
being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of us, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant and being born in human likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is God's Word. Let's pray together. Father, again, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You have revealed Yourself to us. We have in in black and white uh, the great promises that You have given us in the person of Christ. Uh, But Lord, You've not only given us uh, uh, the written Word, but You have given us the living Word. And we thank You, Lord Jesus Christ, that You have been raised from the dead, that You are the great second Adam, the God-man, the man from heaven who came for us. Father, we want to know what it means as believers to have this same mindset, to place others above ourselves, our wives and our husbands and our children, children placing their parents above themselves. Um, Lord, this is a work of your Spirit. Father, I pray for those who don't know you this morning, that they would know uh, by your Spirit (coughs) this wonderful gospel that Jesus indeed came into the world to die for sinners such as us, uh, that your mercy is, is beyond our comprehension as we read in our text. And so, Lord, we ask that you would warm our hearts to this gospel, that you would change us. Lord, we know you're gracious, and we know that you will do that for all who humble themselves and who go low so that they might be raised up. And we ask these things in his name and for his sake. Amen. You know, I, I was trying to think of a title for the sermon this Sunday, and I always have to have a title by Thursday. Uh, that's not as easy as you think. But I, I titled it uh, Christmas in July. I'm sure there's been many titles over the years that ministers have used that. But, but the reason I use that is this. I want you to think about this. All doctrines, if you're a Christian, doctrines, the teachings, and there's so many wonderful doctrines in the Scriptures, all of them should be needed into our life. They need to be meditated upon. Uh, They need to be considered. In fact, so often when Paul is giving real practical application like we saw last week about the importance of giving, he gives you a reason. (laughs) And he gives you this great doctrine. And uh, so we, we, we see it here. But, but you see, if, if you're not working these doctrines into your life, then they, they, they're just these right, nice teachings. 
And they really do end up being platitudes. And if you're going to church all the time and you're never working them into your life, you know what it'll do to you? It will make you like very not human. It'll make you hardened is what it will do. And, and the least uh, human of the human beings are religious people where the Spirit is not working in their life and they're not meditating and thinking upon these things. Let me give you a couple, for, for instance, before we come to this one. The doctrine of justification by faith. You see, that's the great doctrine of the Reformation, that the Reformers recaptured what we call the apostolic faith, which is you're not justified by Christ did and what you do. It's not works and grace mingled. You're justified by faith in looking to Christ alone. So Paul gives us the application of that in Romans chapter 3 when he talks uh, about God's grace to Abraham, that Abraham was justified by faith. And then he says this. You know, he says, where is their boasting then? There's no boasting. Now think about a church where the Spirit is at work, and we as a group of people, and I do think God's at work at Redeemer. I see Him at work in our lives. But imagine a group of people who are not boasting. Think of the energy that comes by knowing that we are justified by faith. It's awesome. No self-righteousness. Because it's not by works. But then think of the doctrine of adoption. Where, where uh, Paul tells us in Galatians 4 that through Jesus Christ we've been adopted into the family of God. And if you begin to study that you discover, um, and I'm sure you've heard many times before, but during the New Testament time you could get rid of your own flesh and blood because you didn't choose them. But if you adopted someone, then you couldn't get rid of them because you chose them. Now imagine if you think about this, if, you, if you're a Christian and you've met Jesus Christ and it's not by works, you're saved by faith, but not only are you justified, but he adopts you into the family and you're growing in the knowledge of God as your father and he's adopted you and he will never kick you out of the family because you're chosen. He called you. He, he can't deny himself. Well, now we come to this passage. Where, where the Apostle Paul is wanting us to consider the Incarnation. Now we do this at Advent season, and I think it's good. I think even the world a little bit, uh, even though Christianity is having less and less impact on the West, but it's kind of like, let's have a cool down for a couple of weeks, and let's be nice to each other. Let's have goodwill toward men. Let's, uh, let's kind of get into the Christmas spirit. Hey, honey, let's not argue in front of the kids so much for the next two weeks. Because it's Christmas time. But what if you were to take this doctrine of the incarnation and you begin to need it into your life? That we should have this same mindset in us which we're commanded to do that Jesus Christ had. That you're saying, hey, no, listen, I'll tell you what. No, honey, I want you. I really want you. I want you to have this. And, and you begin to ponder and think about the magnitude of our text. And I can't even begin to tell you how difficult it is as a preacher to preach on texts like this. that are just so mind-blowing. 
And so what can we learn from this? I, you know, let me, is this a platitude? I'll consider others better than yourselves. Put others above yourself. Let me tell you, it is a platitude if it's not true. And it will be a platitude if you think that just kind of thinking this thing through will create it in your life. No, by the power of the Holy Spirit and by applying this to our lives, these truths can become realities in our lives. So what, what I want us to see uh, today, I, I think three things uh, very clearly. And the first is this. You know, the one is by nature, we don't have this mindset. That's the first thing. You don't have this mindset. I don't have this mindset. Uh, secondly, I want us to consider the, the, the mindset, this mindset is the very nature of Jesus Christ. It is His nature. It exudes from him because of who he is. And he's, he's raised from the dead, and it still exudes to those who come to him. And then the last thing is I want us to consider this, that if you are indeed a Christian, born of the Spirit, God can create this mindset in you. I don't care how old you are because you see God's mercies are new every day. I don't care, if you've, I don't care how young, I don't care how old you are. And I think we'll see how we can do this from the text. So the first thing to see is this. We by nature don't have this mindset. That's not our nature. So before we understand the mind of Christ uh, and his great, this great uh, doctrine of the humility of Christ, we need to see that the context, you notice in the verses we read, verses 1 through 4, He's exhorting the Philippians to complete my joy. The whole, the whole book's about his joy. He's content in Christ, plenty or want. He says, but make my joy complete by being like-minded, by being one together. I think we'd all agree that life's a lot better when things, everybody's connected. Would you, would, you'd, you'd see that in your own family, Right? That, hey, yeah, we're all together on this. Hey, is, who wants to go to Disney World? We all do. So you get in the car and nobody's complaining. Like, well, I wanted to go to the Grand Canyon. Of course, if you have more than three kids, you always get that problem. But how nice it is when all the kids line up. How nice it is when you do business and you work with somebody and you're on the same page and there's unity. How great it is in a church where, <clears throat> though we're not perfect, we're one together. We're committed to the mission of the church. But let me tell you what, we look around us and we don't really see unity, do we? Think about it. I mean, seriously, do you, do you see a lot of discord that's out there? Uh, first, you look around the world and you look at the history of mankind and there's discord. I mean, it, it, it really seems very... Fascinating that over and over, every generation is arrogant enough to think we will be the generation that will end all wars. They thought that after World War I. They thought that after World War II. Now we have the United Nations is seeking to unite us as nations. But you know what's really going on there is everybody's trying to find their angle at the United Nations. There's discord. Uh, we... We, we look at the 21st century now. And I don't know about y'all, but there just seems to be incredible discord. Things seem to be falling apart, but they've always been falling apart. Why have they been falling apart? 
Well, we'll see in a moment. But not only that, but let's just come to our own nation. And so we have our own nation, America. And uh, I don't know if it's because of the Internet now and everybody's kind of throwing their opinions out there, but, but here we are Americans. And, you know, one way you go to war, we go to war together. But when we're not at war and we're at peace, we go to war with each other. And all you got to do is look at the Internet, right? And they're Democrats and they're Republicans uh, and they're moderates, and uh, there's this group, and there's that group, and there's the Chi Omegas, and the Kappa Deltas, and the KAs, and the Sigma Constant. We live, in, we live in a world of discord. But then we look in our own families, right? You say, well, God, there has to be some harmony in our families. And, and it used to be the family was kind of a place where there was kind of a connectedness this there. But now, based on this whole idea that I want to uh, affirm myself, I'm committed to my own happiness, the family is uh, divided. And so there's discord in our families. But certainly if you'd say that there's, there's any place that there should be harmony and unity is within the body of Christ. Certainly Christians will get along. And yet we see throughout the scriptures that there is, especially in the New Testament, you read, there's discord. You see it in the Old Testament among, among the Israelites. But you see it in the New Testament. You, you, see, you see it in Ephesians where Paul has given all these wonderful doctrines of, of how we have been predestined in Christ. And if you're a Christian in love, he predestined you in Christ. In chapter 2, he talks about how the middle wall of partition between Jews and Gentiles has been taken down. It's amazing what... Christ has done, and yet in Ephesians 4, he says this, Therefore, as a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. You go to Corinthians and you just see that there's this constant dividing of Christians among themselves. Not that the preachers did it, but they did it with the preachers. I'm a Paul, I'm a, I'm a Paul, I'm a Peter. So we have to ask ourselves, what is it about the human nature that tends to divide and cause suspicion and discord? What is it about human nature? And by the way, let me say this. If you happen to be that kind of person within the church, there's huge warnings in Titus about a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice have nothing to do with that person knowing that such a person is warped. If you're divisive, always stirring up the pot, things are not as they should be. So what causes this in, what causes this in vain? He tells us, Vain conceit. And what is vain conceit? Now, to be real practical here, it's, it's actually it's the very word where it talks about Christ emptied himself. Kenos. Empty glory. Uh, that, we, that, that we, because we've been disconnected from God, in whom all the blessings of life come, whom all the security comes, and when we move away from him, then everything is out of control. And so what we spend our whole lives doing, rather than turning to Him, who's the fullness and the glory, we seek to bring that to ourselves. 
How can I glorify myself? How can I build myself up? Uh, this is the case of all of us uh, as human beings. This is why there's a, this fight and this disunity because really what we're seeking for is approval. I need, I need uh, you to approve me as your pastor. You need your, you need your wife to, to affirm you. You need your husband to affirm you. You need your teacher. You need your friends. And by, by very nature of, of wanting the, somebody else to adore us, we end up Everybody wanting to be adored, we end up in conflict because we're all seeking to find that which is at a horizontal level. And so there's vain conceit. There's this constant seeking of putting yourself up at the expense of others. This is what causes fights. This is what causes enmity uh, between us. I mean, we live, we live in a culture where everything's about success, isn't it? Successful ministers. Successful lawyers, successful mothers. I mean, after all, you need to be a successful mother. And the reason you want to be successful is for the simple fact that you know down deep you have this insecurity that things are out of control. And so you seek your own glory at the expense of others. You know, I've really seen this, uh, and I'm going to talk more about this when I come back to the Genesis series uh, but not just in this culture of success, but also within our own marriages. There's just the battle of the sexes now. And so, so what, we're, what we're taught is rather than being complementarian and, and bringing the distinctions that we have to help build each other up, uh, we're we taught to, um, to, to build our own respect and our own dignity. And I can tell you that what happens, uh, certainly for men, uh, and I've read a good bit about this, is when uh, they feel like uh, they're not respected, they begin to pull away. And men, when, when a woman uh, feels like she's not loved and she's not cherished, uh, then she begins to pull away. And yet the whole idea is that we are to adore one another. We are to build each other up. But you can't do that if you are seeking that person's affirmation. In other words, you have nothing to bring to the person because you're seeking glory in all the wrong things. When we set ourselves up for our own as our own gods, there has to be a clash. Well, what causes discord among believers? I mean, those who really know Jesus Christ. We still have our idols, right? We have our idols, and, uh, and so... We want to have those high places in our heart. I, I need to be respected. I need to be recognized in the church. I, I must have this in the church. Your church is not meaningful. I need to have my children to behave. I must be appreciated. I must be worshipped. That's our mindset. Man, something's wrong with us in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so here I have a little, right, what about Bob? You remember the movie, What About Bob? One of my favorite movies. I hadn't seen it in a while. So I have to do It's a Wonderful Life again for the 50th time, and I'll put, what about Bob on? But, you know, it's Bob and Dr. Marvin, right? Dr. Marvin. And, and, uh, and of course, I love that, that, that great line, uh, which is a parody on us, uh, where, on our society, where, where Bob says, I want, I want, I want. I need, I need, I need. But so he's going to Dr. Marvin, but Dr. Marvin... 
is seeking to affirm, his, to affirm himself. And, uh, and so the movie goes. So how in the world can we deal with this? Uh, try to be humble? Uh, make ourselves try to uh, think more about others than ourselves? Good luck on that. In fact, I would say this, if, if, you don't, if, if you don't understand the gospel, that's what you're going to do. And you're going to hear this sermon and you're going to go, golly day, man, I have, to, you know, I have to start thinking about how to do this. No. So what does Paul do? How does Paul help us begin to grasp what does it mean to, to consider others above ourselves, to be one, to put yourself aside? You know what he says? He says, in fact, let me point you to an illustration. He said, let this mind be in you, Christian, that was also in Jesus Christ. I'm t- far, far be it that he's saying, here's the platitude. Oh, yes, this is what Jesus did, and do what you can to try to get a little bit of uh, radiance off of it or aura off of it. No, he's saying, let this very mind, this attitude that Jesus Christ had, let it be in you. We see this in verses 5 and 8 through 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though being in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself and taking the form of a servant and being born in likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself and he became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Paul knows that we can't change by trying harder or trying to live according to Christian virtues. Uh, Trying to be like Jesus is like trying to keep the law. The purpose of the law is not to go, hey, I need to clean you up. The purpose of the law is to show you how empty you are. Paul is not pointing us to Christ to say, okay, now be like Jesus. He's pointing us to Christ to help us understand what motivates him. What moved him? And by reflecting upon that, we begin to move away from our own emptiness and we begin to see the fullness of what he has done for us in Jesus Christ. He points us to the one who not only gave the law, but he came under the law. The one who took its curse. So rather than being in conflict with God, there is now that we can be one uh, with a father. He, does, he doesn't ask you to do anything. He asks you to consider the mind of Christ and what he has done. What is this thing that he wants us to consider? He wants us to consider the person and work of Christ, who he is uh, and what he has, he has done. Uh, here we have to contemplate that the way we overcome our vainglory is, 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 is to begin to realize the fullness of who He is and what He has done for us. And I'm, I'm just going to look at these briefly because they're so amazing. But, but, but first off, what did He do? It's, it says that He came down. Uh, we're empty and we seek to build ourselves up and bring glory to ourselves, And He has all the glory... And he set it aside to come down. He became empty. He is full. He became empty. 
We are empty and seek to be full, and we become empty in the end. So he came down. That's what verse 7 tells us. He emptied himself. And what, is it, what does it mean that he emptied himself? He didn't empty himself of his godness. He took upon himself a human nature. He set aside this regal majesty and this comforts of heaven that we talked about last week to enter into this world. I remember reading a, a book by Brian Chappell, who's the president of Covenant Seminary, and he was, uh, it was a book about illustrations and how to illustrate And one of the illustrations that he gave was of a missionary who was seeking to convey uh, to an African tribe this idea that God would set aside his regal majesty. It couldn't connect, it didn't connect, it didn't connect. Uh, but, But one day, one of the villagers had fallen into a well. And uh, no one could get him out. And uh, then came the, the, the tribal chief... And according to the illustration, uh, he takes aside his, takes his uh, headband or his crown, whatever, and he sets it aside, and he enters into that well and uh, brings uh, this gentleman out. And then all of a sudden, everybody understood the, the nature of who God is. That Jesus sets aside that regal majesty, and he enters into, into this world. And when he comes into the world, it says that he was a servant. I mean, imagine that. The living God, the God who created us, comes to serve us. And when you think about service, you're, you're, thinking, uh, you're, not, you're not thinking about somebody that's coming along and being a partner with you, but somebody who is absolutely there for you to serve you. And then it says that not only did he become a, a servant, but he became obedient. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment, but have you ever thought about the essence of humility is obedience? And the opposite of humility is pride. And what is pride? Pride is I will set myself up. Uh, I'm going to live my whole life in, in, in building myself up, and I don't care what you say. I don't care what God says. I'm going to do what I want to do. And if you're doing that, I, can, I know without a doubt you're empty today. If you're just going, well, I'm just going to do what I want to do. Maybe you're indifferent to what I'm saying today. You're going, okay, that's nice Christian doctrine. But I know this. If you're indifferent, I know you're empty. I know that. And I'd like to talk to you about your emptiness, and I would like to suggest to you that the reason you're empty is the same reason I find myself empty is because of my disobedience. But you know what humility is? What is humility? It's when you, uh, you, you children, your parents ask you to do something. You say, I'll do that. Or if your husband asks you to do something, your wife, you go, hey, absolutely. And you go beyond the duty. Or if your husband and your wife ask you to do something, rather than go, and I'll get to it later, you say, absolutely, I'll do that. Because, you know, I want to have the mind of Jesus Christ. So he was humble. He was obedient. And do you understand that he had to do what Adam didn't do and obey his entire life? Every moment of every day. Because you see, you need to know that God not only demands death on your behalf, but he demands perfection for you to go to heaven. And Christ did that. But then not only does it say he humbled himself and he was obedient, 
But it says that he humbled himself and became obedient even to death, death on a cross. Now let me just say this before I come to my last point. The last thing we want in our life is to be ignored. Now, we have several counselors in our congregation. And I'm, I'm sure that a lot of the counselors, what they have to deal with are, are, are those who come to them uh, because they have been ignored. And they have not been adored. And so Jesus comes into the world and he came to his own and his own received him not. We ignored him. Maybe you're doing that. You, you don't, you, 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 the last thing you want is God very involved in your life. It's a sign of your unbelief. Because you see, once he comes into your life, then you have to, you have to, you have to take note. But you see, Jesus Christ came into the world and served us and did everything for us. And ultimately, on the cross of Jesus, on the cross, he was absolutely ignored by his Father on our behalf. He was forsaken so we wouldn't be. He was ignored so we wouldn't be. And so how, how do you begin to change? I, I, I tell you, I, when you begin to see him emptied for your sake, uh, when you begin to see uh, <clears throat> that he set aside all that fullness for your sake, then you don't need the adoration of everybody else. I mean, I mean, think about it this way. Don't you want to be a... Some people you don't care if they admire you or not, but aren't there certain people you go, man, I really would like... I would like their admiration. And the people that you want the admiration from the most is when you're the most satisfied, except the fact is they can't always do it. But when you come to Christ and all your emptiness and all your brokenness, and you see that He accepts you in Christ, He accepts you in the Beloved then all of a sudden you don't need the adoration of other people. He has loved you with an undying love. Which brings me to the last point, and that is this. Uh, if, you're, if you're indeed a Christian, I, I really believe... Now again, if, if, you've never been, if you've never met Christ, you can't do this. And I'll say this in a moment. But if you're a Christian, this is possible. Do you understand that? Let this mind be in you. I mean, that's what he's saying. So, can, can, can he do this? Of course he can. So how, how can we have this mindset? Well, first off, as I said, you, you must know him. You have to meet him. Being a Christian is not believing right things. It's not believing right doctrines. Being a Christian is ultimately an Isaiah 6 experience where he went to church and he went to church and then one day he goes to church and God shows up and his life is radically changed. And you might say, well, you know, I, I, I don't know if I've ever met Christ that way. And uh, do I have to sit around and wait until he shows up? No, you have to begin to see your emptiness. But you can't be convinced of your own emptiness unless he does that. Unless by his grace he shows you that. How do I know if I have faith? Uh, how do I know if I've really put my faith in him and I really trusted him? Well, here's, uh, here's what John Stott says in Basic Christianity. Listen to this. It's very interesting. Uh, if you read the Bible, no one ever had a moderate reaction to Jesus. Either you 
hated him. And, you know, I've, I've run into that quite often as I share the gospel. They hate the gospel. Or they run away from him. And, right, if you're indifferent right now, basically what that's saying is you, that you're running away. Do you understand that you're, you're kind of being cynical or you're, you're being indifferent to everything I'm saying? Like, okay, yeah, that's great. Then that's, that means you're running away from him. You're not moving toward him. Or else uh, you are... moving toward him, and you give your life to him. You can't just say, well, I, I like Jesus, but you don't give your life to Jesus. You see, to be a Christian is, is a sobering thing, because, because when you meet him, your life changes. Uh, C.S. Lewis, I know you've heard this great quote. I, in fact, I think I've seen it on uh, Justin uh, Clement's um, email, but I read it before I saw his email. That Christianity is either true and of utmost importance or not true and of no importance, but one thing that it can never be is moderately important. You see, if it's just moderately important, then all these truths, they, they can never be worked into your lives. So first, you need to know Him. And then secondly, you need to know, you have to have this mindset. It's a mindset. You have to fight for that. It's called Sanctification. You know, a lot of people think that Presbyterians don't have a doctrine of the Holy Spirit because, uh, because we don't always get excited about everything. But the essence of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, and there's a lot of things about it, but one of the essence of the Holy Spirit is He gives you the grace to put sin to death. To not walk out of here and go, oh, okay, yeah, I'm supposed to uh, put others above myself. And it goes in one ear and out the other. But you begin to go, you know, well, Lord, what am I not understanding about your resurrection? What is it about me that constantly makes me uh, um, think about myself more and not less? And then finally, there's this process. And what is the process? Well, if you notice... He came down and was exalted. And so the process for us is when we begin to see our emptiness, or maybe if there's anybody here who's saying, you know, I really want to have that mindset. I, I do know Christ. But I, I want, I, you know, by July, I would, I would really like to see that I'm beginning to understand that because you adore me, I don't need to be adored by others. And so you're in the process of meditating and thinking about his work on your behalf. What causes divisions and strife and war and ultimately unhappiness? You know what it is? It's our own insecurity. That's what causes it. But let me close on this. When, when, you, when you know Him and you're meditating, He came down for you. He came down to serve you. And He will always serve you. And He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Then you don't need the admiration of other people. There is this fullness. And then there's just beginning to be the sense of being filled by the Holy Spirit. Walking in the Spirit. Because you keep coming down. The way up is the way down. And to be broken is to be filled. I close on this illustration. I, I, I think I've told you. I, th I know I've told this illustration before. But I think it's been a year or two. Um, but I, I think it says it all. Uh, Charles Spurgeon uh, was visiting a church member one day, and uh, it was in London, and it was uh, the brownstone buildings. So he's going up these stairs, 
And as he's going upstairs, it's a cold winter day. It's in a poor area. He looks in the window, and he sees this woman. Uh, she's, she's an elderly lady, widow. And in her, she has one room. There's a cot in one corner, and there's a chair, and there's one piece of coal on the fire, and there's a table, one table, and there's a piece of bread. And so he looks in, and she's sitting down to have her meal, and she's praying. And he hears her prayer. You know, you know what prayer was? All this and Jesus too. All this and Jesus too. Uh, here's a woman who understood the gospel. May this uh, mind be in us that was also in Jesus Christ who came for us. Let's pray. <laughs> Father, we confess to you that we have our idols. Um, we look for all these things uh, to satisfy us, and they don't because they're things. We look for people to meet our needs. Uh, and yet no one has ever set aside uh, their regal glory and their majesty for us. We probably have not set aside a lot of things. Lord, I pray for any who are here today who realize their own emptiness and their own sin and their own indifference. Lord, I pray that as uh, they look to you, that they would know what it means to be lifted up. Lord, we thank you for your mercies that they're new every day. And we pray that uh, you would help us need these things into our lives. Uh, that we would uh, love uh, the one who has loved us so much and what we receive that we would give to other people. So, Lord, we pray for your mercy and your grace in our lives. And I pray for any who are here this morning that don't know this love, that you would reveal yourself to them, that you would, would show them that you alone are able to satisfy all our needs, that you, you, you will love them when no one would, one would if they knew them. And so we pray for that this morning. Uh, we ask these things in your name. Amen.